You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48. Jesus and the Law. Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those who live long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger and judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, if you bring your gifts to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you are with them on the way to court. Otherwise, they will haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court, and you will be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. You have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that every man who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body go into hell. It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a divorce certificate. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness forces her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't make a false, solemn pledge, but you should follow through on what you have pledged to the Lord. But I say to you that you must not pledge at all. You must not pledge by heaven because it's God's throne. You must not pledge by the earth because it's God's footstool. You must not pledge by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. And you must not pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, then you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. 
He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteousness and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Sermon on the Mount. We heard the Beatitudes last week, but the Sermon on the Mount is a lot more than the Beatitudes. In point of fact, they run from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, straight through to end of chapter 7. And also, I've got to admit, it's a little strange to be giving a sermon about a sermon. Today and for the next three Sundays, we're going to continue talking about and with the Sermon on the Mount. There's a reason why the Sermon on the Mount is at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Wesley, John Wesley, had 13 different sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not that tempted. But I will spend today, next Sunday and the Sunday following, working us through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a symphony in five movements. Last week, we looked at those who were blessed. And it was counterintuitive. In the time of Jesus, those that are listed as the blessed, the happy, considered anything that. Today, we're going to look at tradition and the law reimagined in a new way. Then we'll look at personal piety. We'll look at how handling one's life in a commitment can happen and about keeping track. Today we go from who's blessed to begin to look at how one can be blessed. Now, in the old tradition, one's blessed by being the best at obeying every bit of the law. And in using that law to justify their own actions. Austin Avery, an Oxford historian, in a recent article described the four groups of religious observers in Jesus' time who used the law that way, who used the law to convince themselves that what they were doing was morally right and what everybody else was doing was morally wrong. And these were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Essenes, that group that took themselves out of society entirely, and the Zealots, who took upon themselves to murder in the name of God. Each group used the law to condemn others and to justify their own actions. Now, a word about tradition, because they rested on tradition and how the law should be applied to do what they were doing. It's a wonderful story about mother preparing the ham, cuts off the end of the ham before she bakes it. And her daughter says, Mom, why do you do that? She said, well, your grandma always did it. And grandma was there with them for that dinner, and they turned to her and said, why did you do that, grandma? She said, well, 
my mother did it. Well, as it happened, great-grandma was still around, and, and they, when they visited her next, they asked her, great-grandma, why did you always cut the end of the ham off? She said, because my pan was too small to carry the whole ham. That's a harmless tradition. It's one that grows. But there were other traditions, others that rested on the, that's the way we've always done it, and not looking to the why or the intent. And when the law gets warped with the tradition, the intent can be warped as well. In the United Methodist Church, women were not fully ordained as elders until 1956. People who were divorced could not be ordained until the 1960s. I would not have been able to stand here as an ordained minister if that rule was still in effect. Deacons, of which I'm one, were not recognized as a separate woman until 1996. Change, though, can be hard. It can be especially hard when people see the changes being threatening and threatening to their social position. And this was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those who are afraid of that gospel can be afraid because they will lose a scriptural basis for their hate. So the old way was a way of separating people. The book of Ruth, by the way, is a wonderful exception to this old tradition. And there you see the blessings that can happen when those are using the rule of law, of God's law, in a beautiful way. But that was the exception. Instead, like today, people picked and chose from Scripture what would help their case and not help their fellows. There's one example that Jesus gives later in confronting the Pharisees. It was called the law of Corbin. You see, there was an obligation under the law for a man to protect his mother and father, to support them. And what they could do to get around that was to claim that their wealth was given to God. They could go through a ceremony to give their wealth to God called Corbin. And therefore, they could still use it, but could say, by law, I cannot give it to anyone, even my parents. They used the law to justify anger. And also, what could be done just short of the law, just short of that legal view of the law, to get what they wanted? But here, Jesus takes a different tact. We'll see through these incredible symphonies why they were astounded at his teaching. Let's look at these segment by segment briefly. Each segment works into a fundamental aspect of living with human beings. He talks about anger and adultery divorce, talks about giving one's word, about retaliation, and about uncreating enemies. He sets the stage by, by talking about the statement that he's going to make is to fulfill the law. I have come to fulfill the law, not to change it. All of the law will be observed. 
great beginning because whatever follows will fulfill the law as it was intended. Step by step, from the merely difficult to the nearly impossible, Jesus takes us on a journey of human reactions. Anger beginning. Anger to reconcile quickly or worse will certainly happen. It's a good beginning for all that follows. Anger is a self-centered emotion par excellence. Um, I know for me, that is one of my big challenges. I heard a wonderful minister once describe Jesus' passion. When you squeeze an orange, out comes its true essence, orange juice. When you squeeze Christ on the cross, out came forgiveness. When you squeeze me and many people, out comes anger. What is true comes out, and Jesus speaks to that. Adultery, setting the boundaries on one's life. By the way, a word here about hyperbole. This is where Jesus talks about if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. There were people in the Middle Ages who actually did that. No, this is hyperbole. This is explaining just how important it is to avoid your passions, to control them, to recognize that other as a human being in the image of God and not as a plaything, not as an object. Divorce. A context here. You may have noticed that when Lane was reading, it was in terms of a man divorcing a woman. Back then, a woman could not divorce a man. It was the men who did that. And they could do it very easily and very simply. And when they did that in that society, the woman was in real, real peril. She couldn't go back to her family. She would have been in, an insult to them. So how would she make a living? And if she had children? No, divorce was a cruel way of using the law for one's own gain at someone else's expense. Oaths. Honest reasoning with others in a time and place where one's oath depended on one's station and status. You see, in those days, women's oaths weren't considered at all. And men's oaths, it depended on how many men you could get on your side. And how they would swear. By God? By the synagogue? By the tablets? No. We see that today. How many of us have heard that public apology that's not an apology? Or heard the equivocations? Or even done them ourselves? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then comes retaliation. The old law, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was of course a way to limit violence. At the time it was really important. Jesus goes beyond that. Here, to avoid violence altogether. If one who is in power over you is forcing you to do something or striking you, don't be the victim, but take them up, confront them in pride, self-pride as an image of God. And finally, that wonderful, incredible, impossible, love your enemies. Wow.
did you know, by the way, when Lane read the pronouns? He uses the pronouns you. Jesus talks about you. Or he talks about anyone and everyone. No exceptions. And what's left out? What's left out are the purity laws, if you will. The laws of separation that Moses had put together to isolate the, the tribe of Israel, the tribes of Israel from the surrounding areas. Useful in their time. But Jesus is not talking about them. And indeed, in his teachings, he will describe how those purity laws don't really need to be there if you are loving your enemies. That tradition today, this new look at the tradition of how one keeps the law, First, we, we, we all still fall in the trap of, of reading Scripture to justify or excuse what we want to do. One of the greatest examples of this is the doctrine of the so-called just war. I defy anyone, anyone, and it began with St. Augustine doing it, I defy anyone to claim a just war is scripturally allowed under Jesus Christ's gospel. And whether or not there could ever be such a thing as a just war, in my observation that every country that is involved in it, certainly every Christian country or every Islamic country, begs God on their side. In World War I, the German soldiers went into the trenches with a belt buckle that said on it, God with us, God with us. The current rupture now taking place with our United Methodist Church is based on views of how one is to use Scripture to hurt people. And when we can't quite fit our intentions into Scripture, we will hearken back to tradition. I said earlier that there is a reason this sermon appears at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Obviously, it's important. But it's not just because it's important stuff. In laying this out at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus lays out a test for himself, the way his life and his ministry will be tested. It will be his measure for himself and all his actions. And you can do that. You can walk through the Gospels and lay them against this sermon and see Jesus in action. And this is why it's important to read and study this sermon, especially during Lent, as we're doing. This is because if we claim to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, this sermon becomes the measure for each one of us. Next week, we're going to look at how we can build our spiritual life to meet this measure. But in the meantime, let's take the time during our Lenten journey this week to see where our traditions, where your way of doing things and thinking about things and my way of doing things and thinking about things are bound by a tradition that's not Christian. It's bound by a tradition that blocks our Christian ministry. Let's look to ourselves to do that. Amen.